what's something in Ottawa that deserves a little bit more attention than it gets? Real estate. Real estate? What do you mean? <laughs> I think uh, I think it's undervalued, and I believe that uh, you know bigger companies should be bringing more people to Ottawa. There's okay. there that has a lot to offer, and uh, you know for young people, it's still quite affordable. The job market's strong. I think it's a great place, and should be focused on more. You're listening to Realtor in Your Pocket podcast. Do you want to head start on buying, selling, or renting in Ottawa? You're in the right place. Every episode brings you great advice and insight that you can keep in your back pocket until you make your move. And now, here's your host, Nick Funditis. That clip you just heard was from Danny Dawson, a colleague of mine and real estate broker at Royal LePage Performance Realty. You're listening to Realtor in Your Pocket podcast, Ottawa Real Estate and Advice. And today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Danny about secondary dwellings within single homes. Danny often works with investor buyers and sellers, as well as owning a number of investment properties himself. I'm Nick Funditis, and as well as hosting this podcast, I'm a realtor at Royal LePage Performance Realty in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Realtor in Your Pocket is a podcast dedicated to home buyers and sellers in Ontario. Each episode, I'll cover a topic that explains how something in my industry works in such a way that gives you the edge when you're buying or selling a home. This episode was recorded near the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Real estate has been included in the list of essential industries, but it's clearly not business as usual. As Danny mentioned, Ottawa has a number of advantages that make it a great place to live, including a strong strong job market, diverse economy, and room to grow. One feature of the city is a tight rental market, and part of Danny's business is helping clients create a secondary dwelling unit, a second suite within their home or single income property to increase rental income. I chose Danny today because as well as being a colleague, he and I are friends at the brokerage and I trust him to be candid and blunt with his advice. Danny doesn't sugarcoat his experiences and he's straightforward with what's failed as well as what has succeeded for him. Renovation and property investment isn't for everyone and he sheds some light on the pitfalls as well as the opportunities. Enjoy the show and if you know someone who could use a realtor in their pocket for advice, share it with them. A five-star review on iTunes never hurts either, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. I'm here uh, on the podcast with Danny Dawson, who's a colleague of mine over at Royal Page Performance Realty. Now, Danny has a certain set of skills. As I mentioned, he's, uh, he's an experienced investor, uh, both for himself and for helping his clients um, both purchase investment properties and convert them where needed. So today we're talking about secondary dwellings. So we're talking about purchasing homes and converting them into secondary dwellings. So um, start off by saying, what kind of experience do you have with this? So I've um, I've done two major renovations in the last year, just adding secondary dwellings to bungalows. And I've helped several clients go through that process from basically start to finish. So exploring the idea, getting the financing, finding the property and managing the renovation. Um, so that's... I've done the two major renos in the past couple months. And then over the years, I've done a few others that, that uh, kind of flow into that subject. Okay. And on the major renos, did you do it on your own? Did you partner up? Tell me about so that. I've done both. So um, in some of my properties, I have business partners. And when we talk about doing the renovations, I've, uh, you know, me and my business partner have managed an entire project ourselves, you know, getting the contractors, even hands-on doing some of the demolition. Then we've also done projects where we've hired 
contractors to manage the entire project and do the work. So we're just overseeing it and not getting our hands dirty. And I think there's, there's pros and cons to both of those. Talk about what some of the pros and cons are. Uh, let's, let's start with the, with the more hands-on one. What did you find? Yeah. So the more hands-on one, uh, you're going to pay tuition. If it's your first one and you've never done it before, you're, if you don't have someone behind you guiding you, then you're just going to pay the price in mistakes and learning, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think overall, you're probably still going to save money. Okay. If, but you're going to need the time and the cash to do it. Either way, you're going to need the cash. But if you, if you have a contracting company do it for you, you know, it eliminates a lot of the stress, a lot of the time, and you should be able to get the project done a little bit quicker too. So you got to figure out, you know, how long is that property going to be vacant and can you hold it for that long? Okay. Now, when you, when you use the contracting company, I imagine you looked around, how did you choose who were you going to use as a contractor? Because with any person kind of stepping into it, that's a big question mark, right? Like who are you going to trust with, with that kind of time and effort and your, and your money? Yeah, I would, um, I would suggest picking somebody who not just has experience in renovations, but who has experience doing exactly what you're planning to do. So if you're converting a bungalow into a secondary dwelling unit, get examples from them that they've done it before and they've run through that process. Cause you know, I've been through it with contractors and yet still found that mistakes were made because they were learning that process as well. Okay. So you're either paying your own tuition, but you shouldn't have to pay somebody else's tuition. Exactly. What you're saying. Now I'm going to, I'm going to dumb it down for the listener a little bit because like a lot of people coming in don't even know what we're talking about by saying, taking a bungalow and converting it into a secondary dwelling. Can you, can you say what that means and what it, you know, what it might mean compared to what people probably think it means? Yeah. So people have this, uh, they, most people know what a duplex is. A duplex is two units, um, usually referred to as rental property. A secondary dwelling is similar. It's just a different legal term for it. So within R1 zoning, where you typically have just single family homes on the street, okay. you're allowed to do a secondary dwelling, which means you can put a basement apartment into the into the building and it usually has to be a basement you can use part of the main floor but only a certain percentage so we won't go too far into that and um, you know one of the reasons i focus on secondary dwellings is you can usually buy them for cheaper like you can buy a bungalow for a lot cheaper put in the basement apartment yourself and now you have a fully operating duplex that brings in quite a bit of rent Okay. And then from a legal perspective, is it now a duplex or is it a still a single family with a, with a secondary dwelling? Yeah. So it's, what's, it's, what's not, the difference? it's not considered a duplex. It's considered, uh, it's still, it's considered a secondary dwelling. That's all. That's what they would list it as. So if you're getting permits with the city, you'd be a single family home with a secondary dwelling. Okay. And how are the two units separated in there? Like what, what kind of things I won't, you know, we're not going to get into, uh, like a full guide for someone because this is not really what the purpose of the podcast is about. But what are a few things that make it different? I guess the key is if you're if you're doing one, you should be doing it uh, legally, and legally means you're following the city bylaws, so it conforms with the zoning, and you should be doing it to code. So you have the building code, which the city will force you to follow through their inspections. Okay, and you have the fire code. So if it's going to be a rental property in a basement, you got to make sure that you have the proper sized uh, windows for egress, fire rating between the units, um, fire separation, 
with doors, um, interconnected smoke alarms, stuff like that. So there's a lot of little details regarding code that makes it legal and also for, you know, future risk and for insurance purposes, you want to make sure you're doing it the right way. Okay. Makes sense. Now you've done this a few times. Uh, you actually have, you have more investment properties than that. I think, don't you, besides just the ones you've converted? Yeah, I have seven, seven properties now. That's okay. including my primary though. Inclu okay. Still that's, that is six more than most people have. <laughs> yeah. The, but so this is something that is something that you're experienced in. How did this be, become something that was a focus for you? Like, how did you get started in this? How did it end up being something that you continued with? So it started with me being frustrated with the um, with the lack of quality in investment properties and the lack of cash flow that they had. So I started seeking out different options and realized that using the Burr strategy, which is buy, renovate, rent and refinance. So that strategy along with, you know, creating a, a secondary dwelling was the most profitable. Um, you know, if you're already buying a duplex that's already done and created, you're paying the premium for that, that ease of, of buying a property that's already done. So, you know, putting all the sweat equity in yourself is the best way. And, you know, the, the reason I was able to buy so many so quickly is because I would refinance the property, get all of my money back, including the down payment and the renovation money. And then I'd go buy my next one because I'd have my cash back in hand. Okay. And basically you just have the, your tenants in there. We're just at that point paying the existing mortgage on the property. So I'm kind of trying to refocus my camera. Here. Um, and then you said your SDU, that's just uh, in the notes here, just stands for single, single dwelling units, right? Uh, secondary dwelling units. Secondary dwelling units. Okay. Uh, what's the motivation for creating secondary dwelling? Like why, if, if I had a house, if I had a bungalow, I wasn't using the whole thing. Why would I, why would I do that? So for me, there's a lot of clients that are like, well, why don't I just buy one that's already done? And part of the reason you can do it yourself and it's sometimes more profitable depends on the situation, but you can have it done right. And you can get your cash back from that renovation and from the increase in, in value that you put into that property. So okay. for example, if you buy a property at 450 grand and you put a hundred grand into it, brings it to a value of 550. Well, if you're, if you get it refinanced, you may be able to appraise that property at 650,000 because that's what the average duplex is selling for these days or sure. secondary dwelling. So having it done right, you're going to optimize that building to get higher rents. You look at basement apartments that are online for rent, they're renting for 1400 bucks a month. You know, all of my basement apartments are getting around $1,800 a month because we have um, really efficient layouts, lots of natural light, parking, laundry. We check all the boxes that the tenant wants and the place looks good. Great. And then um, what kind of, so what's the preparation required to make this kind of conversion? What kind of things should you have ready to do this? Um, well, definitely uh, you're going to need a lot of available cash, whether that's, you know, your cash or you're from an investor or you're born from a family member and you're going to need a strong team of affordable contractors. And I say affordable contractors because some of these secondary dwelling units can cost $150,000. And, you know, that could have made sense when the values were, you know, 400,000 for a bungalow last year. But the problem is that, you know, today's market the bungalows are closer to 550. 
So you don't want to cheap out on your contractor, but you want to make sure you're not paying a sub upon a sub and, you know, just go right to the source and get someone who's good and skilled. Okay. And then what, what have you found? Like what has been the tuition that you've paid? What kind of difficulties tend to pop up? How do you solve them? Oh, um, money, money solves all the problems. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, I guess you just have to like, wait until the problem comes and and when it comes you're just gonna have to deal with it like you just get it done but don't cheap out do it right i'll give you an example um on our last on our last unit we installed a large egress window um it was it was really big so big that we need a structural engineer to approve it and the city approved everything the unit was filled with daylight and we thought it was you know the, the perfect window but then the inspector came in and said no this doesn't work because it doesn't meet the fire code because it's our egress window. It doesn't account. You can't account that window for the light allowance. Every space needs so much daylight. I think the theory was if somebody was trying to escape, they'd be blocking the daylight for them to get out. So they, they made us either cut a new window in the space, which would just would have looked silly. Like it wouldn't have worked there. Um, our solution was to take out one of the windows in the bedroom, convert that to an egress. And then, you know, that solved the city problem. It made our, made our um, master bedroom even nicer, but it cost us $3,000 in the end. Sure. So, you know, this was maybe something that could have been solved in the beginning if the architect had figured that, figured that out in the first place. Okay, perfect. Um, now, how do you, when you're looking at properties to do a conversion like this, how do you know when something is the right property? Um, I'd say location is key. So we're looking at the actual neighborhood, make sure it's safe, you know, family friendly, um, desirable. So we're looking at transit and employment. Okay. So that you're going to get good kinds of tenants who want to be in that area and hopefully long-term types of tenants too. Yeah, exactly. And, and the reason for that is we're trying to minimize risk of the property being destroyed. We're trying to optimize getting the highest rent. And we're trying to minimize vacancy. Like we, the more desirable the property is, the higher the demand. And the more demand you have, the less vacancy there should be. Okay. So being close to an LRT or a major busing route is going to attract more tenants and help with future appreciation. Proximity to major employment hubs like government buildings or hospitals or universities are going to attract well-paid tenants. You know, they, especially if you think about the market's been so hot. You put up a, a property for rent right now. You can have it rented within a couple days. But if you start to think about like what happens if there's a pandemic, right? We're in it right now. It's difficult to rent properties. People's jobs are not secure. So when you're picking your tenants, if you have the right location, you're going to be able to attract the right people. Like all of our tenants right now are paying our rents. We've got government worker hospital workers and you know we haven't had one late payment yet so it's all due to this location the other thing we're looking at um keeping the initial cost low so we can maximize um the cash flow okay we're looking for bungalows specifically mainly because bungalows have a large upstairs floor plan which you can almost mimic in the basement typically you end up with a two bedroom instead of a three because you have the mechanical space um, 
obviously the ones with the side doors are the best because it goes straight to the basement. And it's easy just to block off and you have two separate entrances. Yeah. You're not fighting against the layout of the house. Exactly. And, um, and, and that's a major cost saving because adding a staircase or a second door uh, is, is just a huge cost that's unnecessary. And then, of course, in the basement, we're looking for high ceilings and big windows. Those are both really big bonuses. Um, if you can save money by already having big windows in there, that's, that's fantastic. Perfect. Uh, now, if you had a new, a new buyer considering doing this or like a, a relatively inexperienced buyer, what are you going to say to this person who, says, who comes to you and says, hey, I'm thinking about going buying an investment property, converting something to a secondary dwelling? So I would, I would make sure they understand the real costs involved with doing this. Cause I've met a ton of people, including contractors, you know, like friends of friends or friends of clients who walk in and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. You can do this basement for 60 grand. Well, in all of my experiences, you, you just can't do it for that price. Um, it's not possible unless you're doing the work, everything yourself. Um, or some of the major items are already done like bathrooms or kitchens, uh, egress windows are already in. So you got to make sure you have the cash to do it because otherwise you're going to end up not being able to finish the property and you're going to be losing monthly rent. You know, if someone's looking at that option, I may, I may look at them and say like, go buy a duplex or go buy a secondary dwelling that's already finished. You're going to have a higher mortgage, but we can up those rents somehow by doing some slight renovations and modernizing the kitchen or whatever. Yeah, and that's where you get kind of cosmetic renovations rather than structural and exactly and more, for lack of a better word, invasive. So yeah, okay, cool. Uh, and what kind of rookie mistakes do you see people making? Or just like when you go around and you look at other properties that people have used as an investment property, they've tended it out. What kind of what kind of problems do you see around? Um, so I think rookie mistakes is one paying too much for contractors. Um, you need to have the right connections. So that's something that, yeah, whoever you're going to end up working with, um, who, who's maybe had experience in this, will be able to guide you on here are the people you can use. Uh, and, you know, they've, they've worked with them to do that kind of specific task. The other thing is uh, trying to be too cheap on the layout and the finishes. The, the more you spend, not the more you spend, but the better you do it, the, the more higher quality tenant you're going to attract, the less risk there is of vacancy. Um, less risk of damage and less headaches. So I would, you know, in some of mine, I've, I've bought properties with bathrooms already set up in them. It would have been way cheaper to leave the bathroom there, but it didn't flow with the layout. So I'd rip out the entire bathroom, redo all the plumbing, put the bathroom in another corner, but you now have an open floor plan, functional layout, and you get extremely high rents. So spend the money to have separate laundry um, to have extra daylight and a really functional floor plan. It's going to go a long way. Okay, perfect. And then um, if I, so if there, someone wanted to get a hold of you uh, to reach you, where are they going to find you? Google. Google? Just Google uh, what? Danny Dawson? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm everywhere. Like you can look at, you can look at some of my projects on, uh, on my Facebook or my Instagram and uh, dannydawson.ca. There's uh, under investments, there's a small article of, um, of how to cash flow. Or it's one yeah. of the top places in Ottawa to cash flow. So my business partner and I uh, were featured in this article in the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine. Okay. So that'd be a good place to go look at. And uh, yeah. 
Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on uh, the episode today. I mean, you know, I learned something and I think that probably listeners will too. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. That's the show for episode two. On the next upcoming episodes, I will be discussing the new realities of the coronavirus pandemic for home sellers and purchasers and interviewing my colleague, Ryan Cole, for a look at how a buyer agent makes the search process more effective. If you know someone who's thinking of making a move soon, share this podcast with them. It's available in video form on YouTube, on iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. I also post regularly at my site at nickfunditis.ca, where I go deep into advice on how to buy or sell a home. You can shoot me an email anytime at nick at nickfunditis.ca, and I will always respond to your questions about real estate or ideas for future episodes. I'd love a five-star review from you on iTunes, as those help others to find my show. A big thanks to my colleague and friend, Danny Dawson, for coming on the show. As I mentioned, Danny has some great experience in the field of property investment, and he's always willing to share and be straightforward. I've included his contact information in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to him. Thanks also to my wonderful marketing admin, Stephanie Ross, who helps produce and promote the show. She helps to keep me on schedule and make sure that our listeners can find us. Thanks to you for listening and subscribing. I hope that wherever you are, you're staying home, staying healthy, and staying safe. This has been Realtor in Your Pocket Podcast, and I'm Nick Funditis.